like little cow. It's kind of one of those things. It's like a duck. You know, you see a duck in the water, right? The duck looks like it's cool, but the duck's freaking working hard under the water. Wow, working hard, working hard. That's how our place is. We look cool, but we're working hard. Yeah, I, I got no plans, so I'm all yours, man. Who knows yeah. where this is gonna go? I don't. I don't even know, man. For, well, first, I think we should talk about how you feel about one, the Avengers, and then okay, two, okay. The, uh, the Rise of Skywalker trailer. Oh man! Okay, okay. That's uh, priorities. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen the Rise of Skywalker trailer? Oh yeah, I saw it live. Like, uh, oh my god, like when they were out in, uh, yeah, no, I saw it live with my wife. Um, dude, this is this is content, man. Hit record. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's recording for sure. Oh, it's recording. Okay, cool. I hope you. I hope you. Maybe we should do a fresh start. <laughs> we're good. We'll, we'll we'll I'll edit in it in seamless, yep. man. We're good. All right, cool. No, yeah. So, um, Rise of Skywalker trailer. So, dude, my wife and I saw it live. She pulled me over. She's like, stop everything you're doing. Right? Like I'm in the middle of probably like video editing or, or doing some ads or something. And, uh, we watched it live cause they streamed it live from celebration, um, in Chicago. So like we watched that whole thing and I was like practically on the verge of tears. And then, yes. uh, you know, and then, um, you know, they, they come up again and uh, he's all like, wrote it again. And I was like, Oh my gosh, we all watched <laughs> it again. And, there, there was this thought that like it, they played like a different audio behind it, but it, apparently it wasn't. It was just like the replay. We thought that there was like for a moment we thought there was like a light and dark side. To yeah. It. So, so um, that was going to be uh, that was going to be nuts. Like if that was the case, you know, because like you know, like why else would uh, you know Ian McDermott come out in there and be like you know wrote it again? And we're like, oh my gosh, there's like a dark side version of the trailer. Like oh my gosh, they're all freaking out. Uh, but it's cool. There's been a lot of different theories on it. Um, from the beginning, I've always hoped that Ray was somebody of significance and it looks like they're definitely going to retcon everything. Yeah. Um, right. You know, and like, I think everybody like, cause of her accent, they're like, hopefully she's like a Kenobi or maybe she's, you know, related to Palpatine. Um, something like she needs to be somebody cause mm-hmm. you know, like nothing in star Wars has ever been without significance. Right. Like it's, it was never like, Oh, this random person, you know, like everything's interconnected in some way. Maybe it wasn't, you know, Lucas's uh, goal to begin with. It was just like, you know, put this guy in a cool suit. Cool. And like, all right, somebody's going to be commissioned to write a book on. He's awesome now. <laughs> right. Give him a backstory. You know, like, there was not like, exactly. You know, like it, it's um. You know what it is? It's that uh. It's that quote from um. Did you ever watch uh, Firefly? No. I don't think I have. No? Okay. So, but put that on the list. Uh, and you can, you can go reverse. You can watch like the movie Serenity first and, and then go back into it because uh, it gets you a good kind of a feel for it. But, you know, th- there's, uh, there's kind of a shout out line there where, uh, you know, one of the main characters like comes in for the rescue. He's like, what does that make us? Big damn heroes. That's <laughs> right. You know? And it's like one of those things like in Star Wars, like everybody's a big damn hero, you know? Like, yeah. oh, he has like three seconds of screen time. Big backstory. <laughs> <laughs> He hates sand. Uh, no, that's cool. So what? He hates sand. Yeah. No, he hates sand, man. Gets everywhere. No, but it's, it's cool though. Like it's, uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they explain a lot of stuff. You know, there, there's obviously another Death Star out there somewhere. Um, you know, there's theories that it might be uh, on one of the planets, uh, you know, in the Endor system 
just because it's supposed to be a multi, you know, it's supposed to be a multi ecosystem solar system, I guess, versus mm-hmm. like the, the single ecosystem solar systems that we typically see, like, you know, Tatooine, all desert, right? Hawk, all ice. <laughs> right. So um, hopefully, uh, you know, we don't know, like, I, I think it's a probably a Death Star 3 of some sort. And there were some whispers um, for those really hardcore Star Wars fans. Um, if you played Battlefront 2 with Inferno Squadron, um, that the second installation that was like downloadable, playable content uh, had something to do with uh, something called Project Resurrection. Mm. Um, and Palpatine was like all over that. And that was like timeline wise was probably around the same time that the second Death Star was being created. So he was preparing for something, you know, and, and now what they call the expanded universe stuff or legends rather yeah. legends, um, you know, cause like Thrawn was part of legends and a huge part for the longest time. There's a whole Thrawn series, uh, and, and you know, that, that even got into, I think, uh, either I Jedi, the book or the race squadron books, but it, it was in there somewhere. And, uh, they had to retcon some of that too, just to make it fit with star Wars rebels. Um, but even then in that book, there was the, uh, concept that Thrawn was cloned and brought back later for the empire's like resurrection needs. Um, and that was before they, you know, came up with like the first order or anything of that nature. Cause that was like 20 years ago when they wrote that book. So <laughs> Anyway, yeah, no, it's it's exciting. It's um, it's it's a year, man. It's a year for for movie going fans and for uh, you know sci fi fans or for comic book fans. Yes, it's it's it, it's it's one heck of a year. So, how do you think they're going to utilize Palpatine now? Um, you know what? Like, I I keep reading stuff, and I'm trying not to get too mixed up into it, just because I've already gone into that rabbit hole with Game of Thrones whole nother topic <laughs> but um i i think he's probably going to be some type of dark side force ghost even though that's not supposed to be like a, a power that that sits can we something that only supposedly jedi or, or good you know light force users can wield right. um, but either i think he's projected onto you know death star three or two you know, 2b i don't know um or it's within the armor of of um of Darth Vader's helmet or, or something like, I think it's, I don't know that he's going to be physically embodied. Like, I think we're going to see Luke as a force ghost also. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think it's like a physical embodiment per se. And hopefully more force ghosts in this one. I, I hope so. Like, I feel like we kind of got ripped off with the fact, ah, sorry. I just lost distance. <laughs> Are you good? Edit. <laughs> you you said, put that in there. That was, that was just a force ghost projection. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's like, far away. <laughs> um no like uh, like i feel we kind of got ripped off on that one even though we got we, we totally got blessed on two like there's a lot of things we saw in, in the last jedi that we all knew the force you know like, as you know we're, we're saying we all knew like as if it's you know we know that as like physical truth right but um, right. you know like we all knew like it could happen like communicating <laughs> over distances you know force projections and force controls you know gal you know not galaxies but like uh, so, you know systems away yeah. um but and apparently it I makes you like, die after Right, exactly. Right, like it, it's too much of a strain on you. Um, but you know, like we, we saw, we saw Master Yoda, and, and it's just kind of a question of like, where's everyone else? Right, like, like how much? Like, like maybe we just got to see this little tiny microcosm. I hope they kind of make the world a little bit bigger, or the universe a little bit bigger for um, the rise of Skywalker. And it really be- begs the question: which one? Yes. Right, because he's Ray Skywalker. Because you kind of almost imagine she was like you thought she might have been the twin, even though I think there's certain um, texts that 
say that Kylo Ren is about like eight to 12 years older. So that's not there, but is it Kylo Ren? Cause he's technically part of the Skywalker blood. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what is, what is that all about? So, you know, is it, uh, is it that Darth Vader is going to be resurrected? Like we don't know. <laughs> is it Luke? Is he really is dead? Luke, right. Yeah. Is he, is he coming back? Like is, is a whole nother dimension coming forth from the force. So. Uh, and then there is a, I heard Kevin Smith drop this theory of since the Jedi may be done, is Skywalker now the new term for Jedi? Or is that like uh, the new tribe of these forces? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that one? No, I haven't. That's a good point. And there's also that, you know, who's the kid? Who's the kid that obviously has the force pull ability? <laughs> the oh, broom kid. Who's broom kid? <laughs> I know. Who's broom kid, right? Just broom, like, there he just kind of grabs it. Everybody's like, wait, wait, did I miss something? <laughs> What's this? Happened. Was that a so, string? What is all this? Yeah. And I mean, as a fan, like I'm super interested into them explaining who Snoke is and who, like, where the first order came from, like how they were able to build such an economy in the outer rims, like, like all, all these questions, you know, and I know there's a lot of books coming out and a lot of literature that is considered canon. Like I think there was a, like a young Count Dooku that just came out and, wow. uh, and I think Plagueis was also mentioned in canon literature as one of the banking clan. And there was at one point, I think that, Qui-Gon Jinn met Plagueis and Plagueis knew who Qui-Gon Jinn was. Qui-Gon had no clue. Shit. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's crazy. The, like, uh, you know, like the, the, the Disney, you know, story team has really begun to loop things in together. Um, much of it is fan tribute. You know, some of it is, uh, you know, is kind of like WTF, you know, the rest of it's kind of retcon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what were your thoughts after Last Jedi? I know you're you're probably at least happy to some extent that if they do a kind of a a semi retcon of the events that happened. Well, I'm a weirdo, and and I'm a weirdo for two reasons. Um, I I think I'm one of those fans that I, I like the universe and the stories and the character development arcs no matter where they go. Cause I am in love with them and, and like love them, like and hate them. Like we're not the authors. So I respect for what they try to like achieve. Like one of the things that I'm very unhappy about is going back to game of Thrones is, is the last couple episodes have unveiled themselves, but I still respect mm-hmm. it for what it is, you know? And honestly, I like the last Jedi. Like I, I, there's very few parts of it. I didn't like, even though most people seem to really hate it. Um, yeah. I do hope that they retcon, um, you know, uh, Ray's origin story like I really do hope that that's uh just Kylo being Kylo trying to be you know all Decepticon on the dark dark side and all that kind of stuff (laughs) um that I do hope but like exactly right dark side 101 lie about everything (laughs) (laughs) but you know I I think um like I, I actually really enjoyed the movie. I mean, there's a couple elements like, like, um, like Canto bite. Like I didn't really care for the Canto bite story arc. Like I get why I was there. You know, yeah. I wish DJ had a little significant part. Um, of you know, course, a really of course the milk scene. Yeah. Yeah. The milk scene. You can't get rid of that. That's, you know, like way old shout out right. <laughs> to episode four. Right. It's like, you know, once, once you hit the blue or green, I guess you just can't stop. <laughs> no. Um, it's just, it's part of you now, you know, you got to have it. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing that, um, and this is just, again, like super nerd geek fan stuff is, uh, I wasn't happy about the visual effect of turbo lasers. We never saw turbo lasers arc, you know? Oh, that's wow. That's theories so out there. 
right? Like, I mean, it's, it's super, super fine detail, but like, I, I mean, I appreciate it because uh, both, I, I guess Star Wars was always supposed to be like a space battle of the pirate age, you know, like, like sailing somewhere between like the 1700s and like the 1800s. Like, you know, we we're talking like Pirates of the Caribbean, broadsides, like you saw a whole bunch of that in, uh, in Return of the Jedi, like huge broadsides. And then we saw that reinforced in um, the Battle of Coruscant in episode three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are, these are energy bolts. They're supposed to go straight. Like they're not supposed to be that much arc to them. Somebody posted online. I forgot what it was like YouTube or Reddit. It might've been star Wars explained shout out. <laughs> and, um, yes, you know, like, and that, that there was like a gravity well or around, um, you know, the, uh, the old rebel base of crate. So maybe the gravity well created the arc and that was necessary, but I just felt like it was an unnecessary visual piece of space battles. What I did like though was um, Last Jedi actually solved a lot of questions we had about space battle physics in the Star Wars universe, uh, which is that um, it's very much like musket fire. Again, throwback to you know battles of like the 17 and 1800s, where um, you know projectile weapons didn't have much energy after a certain distance. So you know you could fire turbo lasers from very far distances and just kind of like knock at the door of these deflector shields and it wouldn't hurt anything. You know, it just didn't have any energy. It was like you're getting hit by so far away and it wasn't that accurate in that kind of distance. It didn't have the energy to penetrate any kind of, you know, shield or, or physical material. The yeah. second thing that they also um, solved with that was they were able to slice through uh, different types of shields. We already knew in the Star Wars universe, there's different types of shield technology. There's magnetic shields, there's ray shields, there's deflector shields, there's deflector screens, which some people are saying are different things. And, and essentially, there's, sh- there's shielding material for physical damage, there's shielding material for, um, for different types of energy damage. Uh, and they're able to, you know, DJ was able to make the little slice and, and get onto uh, Snoke's capital ship. Uh, so it showed that uh, you know, it reinforced some of the physics, if you will, from episode four, from episode uh, six even, and how, um, you know, like how this even works. Cause there was always some debate on like, how come, you know, I barely tap the death star and like it explodes, but then like <laughs> the millennium Falcon can get the, like, the thrashing yes. of the century, right? Yes. Like in episodes, in episode five, it's like, it was my, it's my favorite sequence. It's, you know, it's running away from the Imperial fleet and it's getting torn up. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh, you know, like Perfect. no other ship, even capital ships can take that kind of damage. And like this thing is just getting worked on repeatedly. I'm getting all excited. I have to back up from the mic. <laughs> yeah, I've, n- I've never thought about that. Right, and it gets like just totally just, just it's it's getting walked on, and uh, it's okay, right? It's like you know, like there's only a couple of times where C3PO is like, "We're done for," right? And, uh, <laughs> but it's because it was being shot at at a distance, and so it could take that damage because oh, the energy bolts okay. would lose, you know, lose energy. It would lose its potency by that time. Um, so, so everything's so supposed to be really cool. in the galaxy and that yes exactly exactly so that that might be uh turned on its side with lando coming back uh for episode wow. nine how exciting was that that's so exciting i'm really really excited it's such a you know it's such a tragedy still though with the loss of carrie fisher because this was always supposed to be her movie like that was the sad thing yeah you know um it was always supposed to be han solo movie for for episode seven um luke's movie for episode eight and then uh, Leia's movie for episode nine. And so we're going to have to see how they work with that, um, with the loss of Carrie Fisher. So um, I don't think there's going to be a dry eye in the theater. I think everybody's just going to be bawling. Definitely. Definitely. And, and real quick before moving on another uh, 
a theory or, or a battleship um, issue that some people are having with, with the, the last Jedi was the, uh, the Admiral Haldo maneuver. Is that mm-hmm. what? Yes. When she, so, she, Admiral Haldo so, maneuver. Yeah. Thoughts on that. Did that ruin <laughs> everything? Now? No, no. Okay. For me, I liked it. Um, yeah. It's it, to me. It's it's a little bit of a nod to. I mean, this is going into deep geek field, man. Um, it's a nod to the Picard maneuver from the Next Generation Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and I'm. I mean, it's just really showing off like how much of a nerd I am because like <laughs> I, love I love all that stuff. Like I love yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> and um, like the the Picard maneuver. For those of you listening that uh, don't know TNG, The Next Generation, uh, which was the second iteration of the Star Trek TV show, um, Captain Picard is the, you know, the Captain Kirk of the Enterprise D, essentially. And he created a maneuver where he would jump to warp. And um, in, in both Star Trek and Star Wars, when you go to, to light speed or warp or hyperspace, you're, taking, you're basically traveling through a different dimension of space, not physical space anymore. And so... What uh, the Picard maneuver was, was you would do a very short uh, warp jump when somebody was firing at you and then appear right in front of their ship and then blast them with all you got. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the Holdo maneuver was very similar. Was, you know, she turned the ship around um, and you know, she went to light speed and tore up the fleet. Uh, and I actually, I thought that was great. Like we saw bits and pieces of that in, in Rogue One yeah. where... Uh, you know, on the Battle of Scarif, uh, the Rebel fleet was like, "Oh, let's get the hell out of here!" And then Darth Vader comes in with these, uh, with the uh, oh gosh, the Executioner. Yeah, it was right or no, 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 no. I'm wrong. What was Darth? And I have to Google it. Darth Vader's uh, was it was the marked? I think it was a Mark One Star Destroyer. Everybody listening is like, oh my gosh, I thought we were listening to the, I thought we were listening to the, uh, the Duck Legs podcast. Like, what's going on with this? This is a podcast. I know. Like, wait, what's happening? North Vader's Star Destroyer. Uh, they did an hour that, on the Rise of Skywalker trailer and they did an hour on Avengers. No. Yeah, it's, it, it was the, uh, is the Executor. I think the Executor was the, no, 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 the Executor was the, ah, whatever. Fail. <laughs> That's a fan fail right there. But, you know, like you saw these ships trying to accelerate to, uh, to uh, light speed and they just crash into the Star Destroyer. Yeah. And, uh, got obliterated. So, I, I, you know, it, it showed a little bit of canon there in terms of the physics of the universe. I loved it. Um, it also reminded me a little bit of uh, Halo Reach where George uh, ignites a slip space drive and like obliterates one of the, uh, the Covenant battlecruisers. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, man, I'm like pulling all sorts of stuff. We're talking, you know, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Firefly. We're talking Star Trek. We're talking Halo. We're covering our bases. We're covering our I mean, like, I'll say this phrase and like the super nerd, I'm calling you out right now. If you recognize this, you email Duck Lives Podcast because like I can throw back all the way to like Commander Keen. Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I wish Trace was on here because Trace is a big Game of Thrones fan too. He'd be able to talk it up with you. I've, I am not. I can't keep up, unfortunately. Oh, think? Game of Thrones. No spoilers. <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, just talked to Prehab guys earlier this week, and they and Trace and those three guys just talked so much Game of Thrones. It's crazy. Game of Thrones is – I mean, I, I see it also differently because I did um, – I did read like, I think like three out of the five books first before I started to watch the series and I started to catch up like before I actually got into the, 
um, the production elements, I finished books four and five just to kind of get the author's perspective of where the story arc was supposed to go. Cause there's definitely a lot of like character consolidation and they swapped some things around like, um, like Sir, Sir Barristan um, got m- kind of melded in with uh, Sir Jorah's character uh, in the TV show. So, okay. Um, but yeah, we don't talk about that since you're not a big, big element on it. There's other, other fan services we can talk about before we spend 30 seconds on physical therapy. For sure. For sure. We'll, we'll wait till. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, yeah, man. It, I'm, I'm really excited for Rise of Skywalker. I'm really excited for that. Um, but moving on, we'll, we'll, we'll also cover the other base that was Endgame. And, oh boy! And thoughts on that? Tears? Were you sad? I and, I uh, was happy. Spoiler alert! I was yeah. Spoiler alert! Like, so just turn this thing off. Fast forward to whatever Jared enters in here as like the fast forward to point. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I was very 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 happy with Endgame, and there's been I mean I I think. Like it's been insane in terms of uh, fan service for 2019. Like there's Endgame, right? The the next Spider-Man movie's coming out, game mm-hmm. ending, and then Rise of Skywalker, Skywalker wrapping up this uh, next trilogy for Star Wars. So it's been huge, and uh, there's been some complaints, you know, in terms of like continuity for Endgame, but, but there's also a room for for imagination, which is I think the beauty of it. Right, that that was the beauty of Star Wars, the original trilogy. Was there's so much room for imagination? Like, who is this guy? Like, what what is this thing that looks like a cappuccino machine? Well, it's IG eighty eight. It's a <laughs> badass bounty hunter. You know, like yes, whole book series, right? Bounty hunter wars, and now it's part of Legends. And um, you know, it's uh, and it's a very char- effective character on Star Wars Game of uh, what's called Galaxy of Heroes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, Endgame. Uh, man, I cried so much. Um, <laughs> I screamed. I was sitting next to this Marine on my left that was like, you know, just swearing left and right from, you know, exclamation points, you know, just like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. It was, yes. it, was it was a great experience. Um, there's like, there's a gal that was like diagonal to my wife on my right. That was literally sobbing for 20 minutes. Like, like, uncon- you, you, you would have thought she was at like a funeral, just uncontrollable oh, sobbing. God. And it just shows you how well uh, just the production team, uh, and, and the cast was able to put these stories together because it was 10 yes. years in the making, you know, yes. like we care so deeply about these characters and we care about their moral virtues. We care about their, their end game. We care about their development yeah. arcs and we care about so many fine details. Uh, and I, I think the beauty of it, uh, and, and this is gonna, this is gonna, you know, this is gonna make the divide. Gene and I have had some talks about this, but you know, these are some fighting words and <laughs> it's, uh, it's this thing I, I read where, you know, DC brought us or brought brought the the world of hero uh, superheroes into our world. Yes. Marvel did the re- the reverse. Marvel brought superheroes into our world. So now we feel like we're part of them. You know, like yeah. and that's that's the beauty of of folks like like Falcon which is now going to be um uh you know, Captain America 2.0, which I think was 3.0 in the comics because Bucky was actually the first uh, replacement for Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, like Hawkeye slash Ronin and, uh, you know, like even uh, even Black Widow, which I'm very excited about. Like the, these are just regular, you know, regular dudes, no super, you know, dudes and dudettes, you know, and just like no superpowers. Like just, they just train super hard, right? They're yeah. finely tuned human instruments. You know, they're not hulks. They don't have gamma radiation, um, but you get to like be with them. And I think that 
that's it's so great and yeah endgame was endgame to me was a masterpiece like i thought they did so well um they the way they started it started with iron man and finished with iron man you know i think he only said i am iron man twice in that phrase it was in iron man like the first movie at the very end of the movie he says i am iron man and then you know a second before the snap so i thought that was great yeah. uh, i think everybody lost their proverbial fecal matter when it came to Captain America showing that he was worthy of Mjolnir. Yes. Um, yeah. Like everybody just that the was... whole thing. Like, I've seen nothing but like these, these compilations on YouTube of like people losing their bleep. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Captain America raises Mjolnir. And it's like, Oh my gosh. Cause I mean, it was a thing in the comics. We all knew it was going to come, you know? And like, then they cap it off when Cap says Avengers assemble and we're like "Ah!" everybody's it's uh where where was it i think it might have been like screencast or another one of those uh, really popular youtube channels it was like endgame is essentially all of your toys and all of your best friends toys and all of your neighborhood kids toys playing one epic imaginary toy battle yes on screen with everything you wish to ever have seen i mean like Flipping Valkyrie and the Pegasus was in it. You know, I was just, oh, I lost it. It was great. You know, like Fat Thor, fantastic. And, and I mean, there's is some somber series moments in that too, where I think, I mean, like Thor being able to see, uh, uh, see his mom, yeah. um, you know, over time and her knowing it, right? And there's that wisdom and peace of, of like going to your fate, even though you know it's there. Like, yeah. There's that like just Jedi like maturity right there. Um, but like it also showed, I mean, it, it's a little serious and I, I think it's a passion point for many, but it also shows a little bit of, uh, of mental health awareness, which I thought was a great little touch. Oh, you know, you see sure. Thor, Thor turning into, you know, alcoholism. You saw, uh, I mean, Tony suffered from PTSD the whole time. Um, you can see that, uh, you know, cap is in denial and, you know, I think Hawkeye. that's, uh, that's what made, Hawkeye, right? Hawkeye turning just complete blind rage, right? You see uh, Black Widow uh, just barely holding things together, you know, mm-hmm. trying to move on. Uh, and it's just, it, you just see it, right? It's everywhere. Yep. Uh, and I think that's something that, uh, I think that's something the kids needed to see. You know, they, they may not make sense of it at age five, six, seven, twelve, 12, or, you know, if you're a bad parent like me earlier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That that was the case for Infinity War. I was like, oh, that was a parenting mistake. <laughs> no, but yeah, but how how cool is that for a kid to see like Thor just go down a slippery slope and make it out mm-hmm. okay? Right, like it shows there's redemption, and it shows that you know just because you you know it's now we're going to DC World, right? Like the reason we fall is so that we can get back up. We pick ourselves back up. Uh, and I think. <laughs> It's just, it's one of those things. I can speak in obscure movie quotes all day, man. Love like it. I draw, I dropped, I dropped this thing on Instagram. Uh, so obscure. I mean, we're talking like early nineties uh, from the hunt for Red October. And uh, it's uh, Sean Connery's character asking his second command to drop one sonar ping to control, uh, to communicate to the, uh, to the Americans that they intend on doing something. And it reminded me of like every parent's wish, like just ask one time. Right. Like, are we there yet? Or can I have it? Right. Like just, just one time. Right. And he's like, give me one ping visually, one ping only, please. You know? oh like, like, I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want. Like just one. Are we there yet? Not yet. That's it. That's the only time it's going to be mentioned for the rest of this car ride. You know, can I have the happy meal? Not yet. 
Not yet. And what a great Sean Connery that was, man. That was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Dude, I, I love accents. I think like voice acting would have been another life for me, but I understand it's like a two to three year period just to warm up to it, like in the industry. You have but, got, uh, you have got nothing but time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, but voice acting would have been great. Like I, I actually, that's been one of the, um, I mean, I don't mean to hijack it. If we want to talk please, about ending, we totally hi- can. But, please hijack it. But this is actually, it's one of the things, this might actually get us on, t- on topic here. Um, one of the things that I've actually studied more than anything else since I launched uh, UpDoc with, you know, Gene Erson, Joe, and then even uh, some of my uh, elements at Recharge um, has been performing arts. Yes. So uh, Stagecraft, um, shout out to, uh, to Jenna Cantor and Alyssa Arms. We did a little micro series on, on Stagecraft PT. I, I remember that. Um, that was a huge thing for me. Like I, I was always in performing arts, like since I was four and a half or something like that. Uh, I, you know, I was, uh, I don't know what the term is. I was told to learn piano <laughs> and I didn't know any different. I'm thankful though, because it really taught me a lot, you know, taught me how to be in front of crowds at age, you know, whatever, like sub 10. Um, and at like, you know, age, I think it was like 12 or 13. I was in front of a, a crowd of like, several thousand playing the timpani drums and um it taught me how to to be a certain character in front of people for you know an audience driven purpose and and that has really uh really paid off for me um in this phase or this path of my career in that i do so much media stuff like like right now you know like on a podcast like need to be able to convey myself through one dimension of communication. You don't get to see my body language, but you get to hear it. Right? You don't get to, to see my facial experience, but you get to hear it. And that's all yeah. part of stagecraft is how to voice, you know, craft um, your emotions. You're doing and voice then, acting right now. Dude, vo- I, I can go crazy. Uh, and um, one, of, one of the influencers of, of kind of like my style lately uh, has been uh, Gabriel Iglesias. The, uh, Fluffy. He's actually from, yeah, Fluffy. He's actually from Chula Vista. From my neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, saw him at Del Mar Fair a number of years ago. Hilarious guy. Legit dude. Um, one of these days, I hope to meet him. So if you're listening, Fluffy, love to meet you. I know you follow me on Twitter. Thank you. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 like I have two, like, I have a couple of big follows on Twitter that, like, I'm super proud of and just super flattered. Um, Fluffy's one of them. And um, one of the actresses from, uh, from uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And then the Disney Institute, like those are like three. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're following me, you know? And, and that's actually, that's right there. It's a fluffy impression, right? He like goes, that's from uh, Aloha Fluffy. He goes to Hawaii and he goes, I, he, he goes, I realized that Hawaiians are just swollen Mexicans. And I walked <laughs> around saying, oh my God, my family, you know, like that's how he like, actually says stuff, you know? And I yes. was like, that's hilarious because he's able to embody certain levels of humor through his his vocal intonations and he, yeah. he gets to narrate that way you know because he'll talk in his normal voice to narrate his story when he's about to drop a joke he'll change his his vocal intonations or his voice entirely and uh, i found that that's been a, a huge help for me because i do a lot of public speaking a lot of platform stuff uh and i love it when i get to to do this with students and with developing professionals because then i can get a little bit silly um doesn't have to be super corporate i tried that with the corporate audience once and um I had to follow it up with, I was like, questions? <laughs> no questions. And I was like, concerns. <laughs> and that, that, broke, that broke the ice a little bit. But, you know, so it's, Wait, me, it's one of those things where you have impression. to think on your feet. Okay, let's hear it. Oh, that was going to be oh, okay. me. That was corporate event. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's something I love. Oh, man, Fluffy's so great. There's, uh, 
it, it, it comes up all the time, you know, like, uh, one of his, uh, ones that I really like is, uh, him telling a story of how he got super drunk at, um, St. Patrick's day and he was doing a bit at an Irish pub. Right. And, uh, the bartender was like, I forgot how this came about, but he's like, are you Irish? You know, he goes, I am Irish, <laughs> you know? And he's like, are you here by yourself? No, I'm not here by myself. And he goes, donkey. you know that that whole bit which and uh that that was a whole nother thing for his his bit but yeah major shout out me huge influence in in kind of developing my own stagecraft and and, and learning um you know this is very relevant to to physical therapy and all of healthcare providers is is learning just to be a little bit more you yeah people already know you're a professional i mean you have a license for crying out loud that's not easy to get in any state per se (laughs) and um, tell me about it Right. And like you have a professional degree. I don't care if it's a bachelor's, an AA, a master's, a doctorate, a PhD, a double doctor. I don't care what it is. Like you went through that grind in life yes. to become a professional. You are a professional just because you're a super nerd or you like to do vocal impressions or uh, you like to go to, you know, Renaissance fairs or whatever doesn't make you any less professional. Like just because you crack jokes doesn't make you any less professional, right? Just because like, like for me, like it's hard for me to swear just because like I stopped swearing a really long time ago and like, I don't know how to do it anymore because I have a five-year-old that I'm trying to make sure he doesn't say stuff. <laughs> and uh, forgot about that. so I just don't swear, but every once in a while I'll drop my F-bombs when needed, you know? And like, it's just one of those things. So, like if you swear, if that's your thing or like, you know, I, I go, I have this weird thing because English isn't my first language where I end up picking up people's accents. Uh-huh. And I, I don't mean to do it like, to mimic somebody disrespectfully. I, I just do it because English is like my fourth language. So like I hang around a lot of Filipinos and I'll like talk like a Filipino, you yeah. know, and like I'll hang around some Latinos and, you know, I'll start like rolling my R's, you know, or as we talk about like chicharrones and how much I like, yeah. you know, some like the, the other more exotic animal parts, you know, for, for meats, you know, and like, it's just, it's just part of that. And, and I think that's okay. I think we need more of that because it, it, it gets away it gets us away from that whole like barrier that lab coat white you know countertop type barrier where i think that so many healthcare consumers end up being victims of care yes not participants of care yeah right how often do you hear like i went to the urgent care and i was locked in a room for three hours and i didn't know what to do like we feel so terrified of leaving this room we're consumers here like i'm not gonna get in trouble nobody's gonna arrest me if i leave this room because i need to go to the bathroom because i waited for two and a half hours Yes. But we feel that way, right? We feel like we're, we feel like we're second graders. And like, I was told to go to the corner, but I was never told when I can come out. Yeah. Right. And, and I think if we can just be a little bit more ourselves at every level of, of, of clinical care and, and non-clinical care, because man, do we know it as clinicians, uh, if we didn't have our support staff, we'd be lost. You know, like if we just be that much more for, for lack of better words, real, Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think we'd be all a little bit better off altogether, you know, like that's more of like a life thing. And that, yeah, that's, that's so true. I'm seeing that now. Cause I'm, I'm, I told you I'm at a, a, uh, an outpatient clinic here in, in Texas, uh, text physical therapy specialist. And, uh, let's, we'll see if I need to edit anything out here. What I'm talking about, but, uh, <laughs> talk to your CI. Can I say this? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The, the clinical director. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's um, it, I, it's a battle every day for me to be as real as possible and make, because I want when somebody comes in the clinic, I want them to feel, I want them to feel the vibes of like, no, this is a coffee shop, but we happen to do physical therapy. Like, I want you to be chill. I want you to be relaxed. 
we've got we've got Iron Man action figures hanging out by the corners, man. Yes. Quote, quote board, positive quote board. Um, I'm going to bring in a little Himalayan salt crystal lamp. And, nice. And it's tough because like you're I've, I've been working there for like uh, I think about six months now. And in, in the past, because they've had a, they have had some turnover, it's been a, it, it looks like a pretty sterile, typical outpatient ortho environment. It's not warm. It's not friendly. And just slowly trying to trying to change that. And then, you know, you also envision if like if you had a clinic or if you had a space, how do you how do you want that warm environment? to look like, right? Do you want that person not to feel like it's a sterile healthcare environment, but like, it's like a, you know, for lack of a better word, like a family or a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something where you can be fully relaxed and not feel like a first grader being told what to do. You know, and a lot of that has to do with the implicit architecture of how you mold your retail space. So uh, one of the most, probably the, the, the book I quote the most, um, Hang on, you're gonna have to edit this. I'm about to sneeze. Or leave it in because you know we're real here. We're real. We don't. Yeah, sneeze we're loud. Uh, I, I try not to just because like I have that old man sneeze. <laughs> What's an old man sneeze? <laughs> you know, you go like blah. You know, like oh, you're shaking loud. the room. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think I got it. Uh, leave it in. That's good. I like it. <laughs> good. good. Um, I, I'm sure. Like, if you're driving, please don't crash. I know that was hilarious. Like, that's like, <laughs> re- like the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. You're like, what the heck? Um, my old last days. All right, but yeah. So the book I like to um, quote out a lot, like people, you know, a lot, a lot of different interviews, podcasts, um, blogs, whatever. They usually ask you a couple of things, like you know, influential characters, influential books, and that kind of thing. And one book I constantly, constantly point to is "Why We Buy" by Paco Underhill. And it's a great audiobook version to it. Uh, and the book is all about the psychology of buying and the psychology of the behaviors, not the decision-making processes, but the behaviors of how we buy yeah. uh, and why we buy. And, and what's interesting is we're so, what's the right word? We're so cerebral these days as, as, a, as a culture in society. I think every segment and subculture, we've become very cerebral because there's so much information yes. uh, and, and it's good stuff. And we've heard this whole thing, right? Like knowledge is power. Um, of course, if you're Cersei, power is power. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could go uh, with you. Um, but, but regardless, right? Regardless, we're forgetting some things. We're, we're forgetting that um, as, much as, uh, as much as we cognitively do a lot of things, there's a lot of things that we do that isn't necessarily cognitive. It's just behavioral, right? It's like a five-year-old or a two-year-old like coming through the target exit aisles and they're grabbing every single stick of gum they can find with a big package of, uh, you know, of peeps or something. Cause it's there, right. It's, 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 you know, for lack of better terms, instinct, it's behavioral. Yes. And, uh, Paco Underhill does a great job breaking down what makes people comfortable in a store. Huh? And this is, this is, you know, some quote free advice. I actually did this at one of the, it might've been San Antonio CSM. I was live streaming and I was analyzing every single booth. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was looking at the booth as if it was a retail space. Cause it is, you know, it's a retail space. And the problem is there's three primary things. And this is a blog at Updoc Media. I think it's like three retail smarts to like elevate your practice or something like that. Or that your clinic needs. Number one, you need a decompression space before anything else. You need a, a place to decompress. 
if you imagine going into a mall or into a store or a grocery store or whatever, there's always a way for you to just kind of like slow your pace down a little bit, right? Like slow that gate speed down a little bit and just survey the environment. Always. One of the best places to do this is Target. Target does a great job. They just open it up. There's like this huge like 20 by 20 foot area of nothing, right? Right next to the, uh, the dollar section. Yeah. It's a great place to decompress because it gets you in the mood, right? It gets you in the mood to browse, to put stuff in your car, to not feel guilty because you're in the, the $1 section. There's baskets. There's, um, you know, carts. Uh, there's a service area. There's a Starbucks attached to it. There's a place for you to decompress and just kind of go, okay, I'm in the mood now. Number two, you need a designated greeter. And that's not always a person. Sometimes that's an activity. But sometimes it's an area. Um, sometimes it's a very light call to action, which is actually number three. And I think that we can learn from this in the clinic. There needs to be a decompression area. Very few clinics have one, right? You open it up and it's what? It's usually like a, a close, like, unless you have your own brick and mortar area. If you're in like in a medical office building or something like that, then it's like this big wooden door, no windows, right? It's a placard. And you're like, am I even allowed to knock on this door and open? I'm not sure. Yeah. I'll try. So you open it up and it's like super intimidating because it's a bunch of people seated in, seated, you know, in a square with like some like water dispenser, like hidden away like under this TV where nobody wants to go to get the water because they're going to block the view. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And then like, this is really like a high, uh, like kind of like high build architecture office uh, desk thing where you can sign in uh, and this like big barrier between you and the reception desk. And there's no place where you decompress. Like you, you, you're immediately in the trap. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's like, what do I do here? These and random um, people that are in pain, right? There's random people, right? Like, I don't know. And like, I might be going through something kind of personal. Maybe I'm here for pelvic health, right? Like, come on, yeah. like, give me a little space. So I tell everyone, if you have the control, the capability, build in a selfie corner that duos as a coffee or refreshment corner. Right. Hmm. And, and, and it doesn't take much. You can expense it. And it's a great way for, for businesses to be able to just let people be. You know, uh, dental offices that specialize in pediatric care do a great job at this because their decompression area is usually some pretty old uh, gaming consoles, like old Nintendo 64s yes. and stuff like that, you know? Yes, um, I remember that. Right? Or, or, or the, the class brain set next to like the one block thing that has all these different like OT, <laughs> OT like classical OT activities of a fine motor control, right? Like yes. the circle through the wire, that kind of stuff. So that decompression is always huge. Then what you really want to do is have a, a designated greeter. And that designated greeter is probably going to be your receptionist. And, and you want that receptionist not to necessarily be behind the desk. Sometimes you can have them stand, right, in the middle of something. That way they don't, you don't feel as a customer that you're bothering them, right? If you're, if you're clicking away at your keyboard and, like, I don't even look up and I go, I'll be right with you, right? Like, that feels very just standoffish. Like, okay, I guess your keyboard's more important than me. Yeah. Right. But yeah, you know, from an exercise mobility standpoint, right. Just have the receptionist stand up <laughs> and like, Hey, I'll be right with you. Pretend to shuffle some papers. doesn't really matter. Um, that is a great, it's a behavioral again, way of making somebody go, oh, okay, good. I'm like, I'm not interrupting something. I'm welcome here. And I'm not like secondary to some paperwork. Okay. Finally, you need a strong call to action. And that strong call to action can be uh, sorry, I'm swatting at like a little fruit fly here. Get it. Get it. <laughs> I'm trying to choke it uh, with the force. Yeah. I, I kind of want to. It's been bugging me this whole time. It's just like flying around like my mic primarily. Oh yes. It's just like, it's actually, you know what? I think it's actually like a gnat. I don't think it's a fruit fly. 
whatever. I think I think it's gone. Just like kind of like I don't know if you heard that like paper slapping. <laughs> it's just like there it is. Ah. Oh, whatever. I'll what, what would the, what, what does the fly sound like if you could do a voice for that fly or the gnat? <laughs> Can't get me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Got it. Son of a gun. It's on my thing. <laughs> I'd hire you. Oh, for I, I feel bad now. I'm sorry. It's no. like all over the envelope. Um, I was there. That was a great. That was a great bit of storytelling to decompress me as you're building up for this final piece. Yeah. So the final piece is a strong call to action, and that strong call to action is a little funny in in healthcare because you're like, well, what else can I buy? You've already bought. You need to buy into the plan of care. Yeah, that's your strong call to action. Um, and I think all of us know this in healthcare, especially if you're on the clinical provision side of life, but I don't just mean agree to the plan of care. I mean, like you need them to really buy into it, yes. buy into every part of it. Like as if this is going to be a change in the way you live your life. Yes. This is the next step to the better and best version of you. A raving fan for the POC. Right. And, and, and the thing is, I feel like, I think we all know this in healthcare. We're obviously not all doing it because one of the things, you know, like, and you know, full disclosure, right? Like, like UpDoc, one of the ways that we, we serve our community and one of the ways we make money is we're a marketing firm, right? We, we help other practices win through ecosystem-based marketing. And one of the things that we do is that I feel that we do very, very well, um, especially for the marketplace of 2019, is we're fantastic. We're flipping fantastic at review and reputation management. We're just so good at getting online reviews. And one of the things that we constantly see is when we run these review campaigns is the narrative. We always analyze the narrative. And constantly, one of the things that we see written by these customers, these happy customers, is they felt like their plan of care was for them and them alone. As if, if I were to transplant a plan of care from person A to person B, it would just wouldn't jive. Even if they had the exact same demographics, like, you know, 35 year old, a female mother of two, you know, is a manager at whatever. And if I were to transplant A to B, even though their, their demographics are like 99% the same, it fly. And that's something we keep seeing as a narrative. And many times as a secondary narrative to that, that or that, that user who's doing that review will say, unlike other places, yeah. unlike other places that give me a canned, here's your knee program, right? Here's your back program. Here's your neck program. Now, more likely than not, the clinician did give a generally standardized back, neck, shoulder, knee program, but that's not your plan of care. You're not selling that, right? You're selling the buy-in of the sum is greater than the whole of how all these pieces are going to lay out together for person A versus person B. Yeah. Heck yeah. The, ex- the experience of that, right? The, the result of that. Absolutely. The- you know, and, and, and that's something that, you know, that's the whole, like, we have to be better at how we sell this stuff. We have to be better about being okay about being salespeople. Cause that's what we are. We're selling this idea, right? Obviously something that they've done in their lives, willingly or unwillingly isn't optimal. Yeah. And habits are hard to change we're here to change those habits or at least help change those habits. Heck yeah. And I think one thing that will be interesting too, this is a little kind of a nerdy inside baseball thing about PT, but now that um, insurance, most insurances aren't going to cover dry needling and for uh, clinics that offer that, that will then have to be a selling point of an add on feature. So how do you 
you know, they'll have to get some sales training and how do you market that to your, to your folks? Absolutely. I mean, there's all, there's all sorts of stuff covered or uncovered um, that you can market, you know, and a lot of these things I think we should, you know, like one of the things that have always baffled me is I don't know why every single uh, outpatient clinic, because you're practically a gym. I don't know why you don't offer a gym membership. Yes. Like, I, I just don't understand. Right there. It's right there. It's right there. It's like, right there. it's like, you know what? It, it, it's, it's like a, it's like the coffee shop that sells tea. Why wouldn't you? You have hot water running all the time. All you need to do is buy an inventory of tea bags. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Um, I mean, there's some philosophical drivers there, uh, historically or not. Uh, that, you know, I'm a clinician, I'm not a trainer. But, you know, uh, I got to tell you this as a clinician, as a clinician that's worked through some pretty grimy situations in the acute care, I don't remember once turning away from a situation that wasn't necessarily like, this isn't the label of my license or this isn't my roles and responsibilities as prescribed by this health system. Yeah. Like there are some pretty, there are pretty some funky situations I was in for acute care. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I didn't back down from that. And you know what? The OTs appreciated it. The nurses appreciated it. You know who appreciated it the most? It was the patients and the CNAs. Yes. And they got your back after because when, when patients see you're willing to double down on that, they're going to do anything for you. It doesn't matter if they're in pain. You know, and I, I did primarily, I think I, I was cool at the peak of it um, when I was uh, the primary at the spine floor. And, you know, spine patients are in pain. And I would say, you know what? You got to move. I don't care. Like, <laughs> you you want to eat your breakfast? Up in that chair. <laughs> I don't care. Right. And they would do it. And it's not like I was bullying them. It was, I was, I was giving them that little coach's nudge of, Hey, you know, like you're here cause you were worse. Let's get you better, but better will require some uncomfortable steps. Right. And then CNAs would get your back on that. Cause yeah, they're like, I, I heard, you know, they, I love it. They, a lot of them were Filipino that I heard Dr. Ben say it. Right. And, like, <laughs> and uh, they're like up in the chair. No breakfast until up in the chair. You like, work on the, vo- on the vocals, man. Oh, heck yeah. So yeah, man, like it's, it's one of those things where I think if you break it, if you break it down, let's just be a little bit more human towards each other. Yes. Right. It's not about the lines of my license, right? Like, Oh, I don't know, man. That's fine motor. That's not PT. I can't touch that. Yeah. You can't touch it, but why don't we, why don't we bring the OT on board while I can address what I can. And when the OT evals you, they can give you the, you know, the higher level stuff that I don't quite understand. That's Okay. So, you anyway. talk so much about interdisciplinary care. You learn so much about that in school, but then it's rarely, rarely do you see it used to its full potential. It, it really is a shame like that. And I, I, I can't really peg like a singular reason um, one way or the other, but, but I, I do feel it's a choice. You know, I think it's, it's a choice in culture of where you work. It's a choice yeah. of the leaders. It's a choice of you as the individual, you know, like, like some of, some of my actions weren't necessarily popular in my developing professional days. Um, so my, my choices aren't popular right now, <laughs> right? But, but it's on you uh, to, regardless of popularity, um, to do what you feel convicted, what you are convicted to be as, as this is right for you. Thank you. And also some, some things that pop into my head uh, with that. I've you know, long been hearing you and Gene talk about how shit the business model of PT is, where you bring these people in that are in pain, suffering, you legit work a miracle getting them to walk again or getting them out of pain, getting them back to doing what they love to do. Then you just say, bye. 
hopefully never see you again. Why don't you have a membership to a gym or at least some other, another part of a, a different plan of care or different like strength programming to go into, right? It's, it's just insane. Oh, absolutely. And, and even more so now, especially in, in um, I'm going to pull up and hear some clickety clackety. Um, it was a question on, on a Facebook group. Uh, and it was somebody asking what, you know, what do you feel the future PT is? And, and I don't want to butcher my own words, but I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. Yeah. I'm going to find it. <laughs> it's here somewhere. Like scrolling through like one day ago, one day ago. Uh, <laughs> two hours that? later. No, yeah, two hours later. Um I don't know where that's from, but I see it everywhere. Do you know where that's from? That's SpongeBob, man. That's from- for real. Yeah. Oh my gosh! See, that's aging me right there. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm like, like I, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's uh, early two thousands Nickelodeon for you. Oh man, that's uh, aging me big time. I I I've been developing this phrase. Like I'm kind of testing it for call it a, you know, cultural appropriateness, um, but like. I, I really feel like I, I date myself and like contextualize myself because I grew up Asian in the eighties. Like it wasn't cool in the eighties to be Asian. It wasn't like, you know, in the seventies you had Bruce Lee, right? In the nineties yeah. you had dragon ladies, you know, for better or for worse, right? These are, these are cultural evolutions that we had to deal with. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I grew up Asian in the eighties. So so much, so much of the stuff like is uh, just not in my, my radar. <laughs> and, and where were you born? I was born in Michigan. I'm okay. Midwest. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a gen one. I think they call it American. So I was born here. My, my parents immigrated. Yeah. Um, dad served in the Navy. Very proud. That's how we got San Diego. And um, man, I can't find this thing, but uh, it was, it was essentially, you know, what's the future of physical therapy to you? And I said, it's going to be consumer driven. If I remember correctly, consumer driven data based um, population oriented and like value-based or something like that. So essentially the consumer is going to drive it, right? It's going to have to be based on data yeah. more so than just like evidence or outcomes. Like it has to be on data. Like, did you actually do any, um, on a measurable, meaningfully measurable level? Um, it's going to be based on populations of, of health stratum. Cause that's, what's costing us money uh, across healthcare, right? Is, is you have, it's the, the, the quint- of HMOs, right? You have like 20% of people that aren't very healthy for, you know, however they got there pre-existing or not, doesn't really matter, right? You're not healthy now. So you're costing the group money, but then you have 80% of the people that are mostly healthy and they're not costing as much. And that's like the old school model of it that still pervades today and on uh, an economic level. And then uh, it's, it's going to be a, a, a measure of value. Like how much did you actually get better? And then somebody asked me what's value. Well, to me and, and to many payers, value is happy, healthy patients, uh, who are, get there through cost-effective care. And this is where I bring that up of like, why don't PTs have a gym? Why don't you have like a membership model? Because what payers are really looking for is they're, they're, they want to keep people out of medical offices and out of hospitals, right? Yes. Away from home care, away from skilled nursing facilities, like just, just get away, right? Because it's not a great place to be to stay healthy, right? It's a place to be to get away from something that's acute, uh, and hopefully you can stay healthy and become healthier and become the healthiest version of yourself. Like I certainly feel like I'm, I'm getting there now because I didn't have to be intentionally healthy um, until I, you know, hit my, my mid thirties. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Nope, now I have to try. Right. Before it was like, eat, like I can have like carne asada fries and like, you know, like a cabeza burrito and yes. like, you know, like, like 
pound down like half a gallon of horchata and like, or, pardon me, horchata. And like, <laughs> it's like, like Ben, you're, you're, you know, you're, shame on you for being San Diego and not be able to say this <laughs> stuff correctly. Um, and uh, now I'm like, nope, I got to go for my two mile run. I got to lift these kettlebells. Right? <laughs> I got to roll around on the ground and get back up, even though it hurts my hips. Like, it's okay. It's part of life. Right. And, yeah. and, and you work with it, but these payers are really looking for, can you keep people healthy or make them healthier through population categories? Like if they were pre-diabetic, can you get away from that? Right. If they were, if they, uh, if they were morbidly obese, can you get them to being just obese? Right. If they're getting overweight, can you get them to being a normalized weight? Uh, if they had blood pressure that was like 150 over 100, can you get them to maybe 140 over 90? Right. Like what, what, what can you do? And, and remember, you know, remember friends and PT fam, like we have four primary areas of practice, at least for the boards, right? We have orthopedics or, or musculoskeletal, neuromuscular, integumentary, <laughs> and cardiopulmonary. Right. How many of us practice, I, I feel most of us practice musculoskeletal, so much so that we've branded it internally as neuromusculoskeletal. Like you say that to anybody at a coffee shop, they'll look at you like you're nuts. Like they understand physics more because of Big Bang Theory than they would ever say, Oh yeah, neuromusculoskeletal. I get that. That's oh, awesome. That, that's what PTs do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. Right. Like I say, what I say is I deal with physical health, just the same way that your primary care probably is an internist and deals with your internal. The same way your eye doctor deals with your ocular health, uh, and same way the dentist deal, deal with your 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 teeth. I deal with your physical health and how you experience your physical body. Oh, that's great. You know, that's just how I explain it. It's not perfectly accurate, but it doesn't have to be. It needs to just make sense to the consumer on, on mostly an emotional level, right? Can I click with it emotionally right yeah. then and there? Then I can sort it out intellectually and, and fine tune it when they're under, you know, a plan of care. Um, but yeah, they're looking for this stuff. You know, they're looking, how can, does a practice, can a practice decrease the, the stratum of risk for and, and health expenses? between populations. So I can put you from, from bucket A to bucket, you know, minus whatever risk and then the next risk down the next risk down the next risk down so that you become on what life insurance companies are, are the lowest risk category. And they love you because they know you want to stay alive and they know that you will stay alive. And so the money you give them every single month for your premium, they can invest elsewhere and then they can give it back to you when you retire. I mean, like that's like the goal, right? Like yeah. stay alive, stay, stay healthy and, and live your life to the fullest. And I can almost guarantee you that very, very, very few people um, in the clinical realms will look outside of their own immediate specialty, even though it's part of your scope of practice, right? There's this huge thing, shout out to Rich Severin, right? Vitals are vital. Yes. It's a huge deal. Like I, I, I took that with me everywhere I went, um, you know, it didn't matter. I practiced in every single major uh, clinical specialty or category setting, right? And, and it was huge. Like I remember this one day I was, uh, I was doing some PRN work at a sniff. Um, I was like the weekend guy that was kind of transitional while launching UpDoc. And like this, this gal was just, I, I don't know, something was just different, you know, like that, that weird red flag or yellow flag in your brain just kind of goes like your, your antenna's wobbling a bit. Yes. Like, that's just like, this gal's doing a little different for me today. Nothing truly behavioral, nothing in her speech, just, just a little off. Um, and I, I just felt that, right? And this was before I, I do my standard thing. A, where a I disturbance vital force, you might say. Exactly. A disturbance of force occurred. And I was like, something's weird. Speaking of which, weird things, this is total tangent, I'll come back to this, right, Bios machine, but there's <laughs> weird things that people hear as kids from movies. Disturbance in the forest, 
Obi-Wan Kenobi or Ben Kenobi at the time it was episode four, I thought he said, like when he sits down, like I felt a great disturbance in the force, like um, as if a million voices cried out and then suddenly silence, right? And I always thought he said, as if a million voices cried out and suddenly silence. I thought he said a million oysters. Yes. Out, yes. Right. And I, I was like, a million did. oysters? A million oy- like why why would a million oysters cry out in the into the void of the force right like I, yes. I had no idea right and like same thing like Han Solo when he grabs the uh, you know Luke's uh, lightsaber and cuts open the uh, the tauntaun for for Luke to keep warm mm-hmm. and he and he goes like you know it smells bad I, I thought they smelled bad on the outside I thought Han Solo said oh I st- I thought they smelled bad antioxide and I was like <laughs> antioxide smell bad I didn't know that you know at age eleven or whatever it was <laughs> I watched it. And uh, yeah, so it's funny, funny things it just came, came into my brain. But back to the vitals thing, right? Like yes. I do my usual thing, right? Check in with the nursing station. All is well. They're actually physically here. They're not on some kind of event or something like that. So I steal the vitals machine from, uh, <laughs> from the LVN's corner. And they always like, bring it back. And so yeah, I'll bring it back. And um, so I go in there, I take the vitals. Sure enough, it was insane. It was, you know, this, this, this poor gal was like, you know, like 90 something years old. And her blood pressure was like, 190 over like 110 or something it was something absolutely nuts good lord and yeah and i was just like uh i'll be right back right <laughs> like you know like you know, talking with the charger it's like hey bp meds like where are we with all this stuff because that this is this is like let, let's send her out like right now kind of situation like this is you know this is really bad like even yes. for even for a sniff Right. Even for acute care, this is terrible. Yes. Um, even with acute care, there's, there's, you know, they're, they're there because they're acutely ill. So there's going to be weird INRs, right? There's going to be weird VPs. This is an outpatient in the middle of Idaho. Like, you know, you have the support of a full medical staff. That's awesome. So you're going to have to deal with some of these anomalies, you know, per your own judgment slash whatever the, uh, the company dictates as your standard of care. But dude, I don't care where you are, 190 over 110, like that's, that's a situation. It is a sitch. It's a little right? sitch. It's a little situation. And, and so like cardio, cardio problem, like how many of us are measuring breath rate? Oh God, yeah. Right? How many of us are assessing for breath control and how stressed out somebody is? Yes. When they hold their breath at the top and bottom of, of their breaths, right? Uh, how many of us are checking intake? Right. Like, I, I mean, I, I've always had, you know, issues with eczema and I can tell you basically only two providers in my life as an adult looked at my skin and went, huh, you have some skin issues. <laughs> right. But isn't primary care supposed to take care of all of that? So, yeah. you know, I think really the lesson is, right. If you're listening to this, right. That you're probably thinking one of a couple of things. Number one, I'm offended, right. How dare you tell me how to practice? I'm not telling you how to practice. I'm telling you what the boards are telling us the standard of care. Right. There's four yeah. primary areas that we should attend to. We should attend to it. It's on you how you want to attend to it, but we should attend to it. And I think we should attend to it to the top of our, our licensure. I think that's just incumbent on an ethical level, whether you take a version of the Hippocratic oath or not upon graduation or whatever it is, or you take it yourself. Right? I think self oaths are actually pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should be performing to that level because the payers want us to. And are asking about it. And that's one of the things that most practices are just like, I can't believe it is a lot of payers are asking for satisfaction scores. Are you measuring your net promoter score? Are you measuring your, 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 uh, your customer burden score? Are you at least running an emoji survey? How about a Likert scale? Right. How about just narrative? Right. Do you have a suggestions box? Like anything? Yes. 
Yes. Right. They are asking like, that's the thing. Like uh, we, cause we, we consult and we market for, for practices of many different sizes and some very large practices have come to us going, <gasps> how do we measure MPS? Because we have a major payer that you probably know very well that is asking us. <laughs> and so if you're listening to this and you're part of a practice and you work <laughs> with major payers, they're probably going to ask you. And then that's part of the happy patients, right? Happy, healthy patients that get there through cost-effective care, value-based. Holy shit. That's crazy. And it, it truly will be, it's going to be about marketing. It's, mm-hmm. well, it's, like, it's, all, it's always been about marketing, but. Uh. Well, mar- marketing is just one dimension of business, right? And business is behaviors. That's what I always tell people is, is, is business is behaviors, right? It's guided by numbers, right? It's guided by transactions and value propositions and whatever It's driven by value. It's retained by relationships, but it's ultimately behaviors. Business is a behavior of interactions between people, between brands and between different service lines and products, right? And, and make no mistake, whether it should be or not, right? Whether it is what it should be or not, healthcare at this point in time is a business. It's yeah. its own economy, right? It's its own series of industries and ecospheres and marketing is a big part of it. Um, I was very pleased. I uh, took a consultation call this week and uh, they were, um, they were told by their own mentoring company uh, that they should spend one to 3% of their top line revenue on marketing period. I don't care how you spend it, spend it. You're supposed to, right? There's actually a lot of benchmarks on like companies that actually spend money on marketing. They don't worry so much about cash flow because guess what? Marketing is fuel for the vehicle of your business. Yes. Uh, and, and I really think that marketing now has really changed. It used to be that, you know, marketing was looped in with marketing communications. And then for a while it was looped in with marketing sales. Now marketing has really uh, gone down the, the line of, of, of customer relationships and, and brand experiences. It's a lot more strategic and top level now. Uh, and communications and PR have been looped together and, and sales has become its own thing. And uh, everybody should learn some sales. Um, but you know, it's, it's the whole fallacy of, of build it and they will come that worked for a movie, but it doesn't really work for uh, people. <laughs> <laughs> like if I don't know about you, I'm not going to go there. Right. And, and you can't necessarily rely on people to use word of mouth and, and, you know, PS world, you know, social media is word of mouth 2.0, right? Like that's how you can, like, if, if you're on social media listening to this and you're going, no, my practice will be fine because they'll tell their friends. Uh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's just one of those things where I think um, things, uh, healthcare is a little bit more of a slower adopter of, yeah. of social changes. Um, not necessarily good, not necessarily bad. It's just a conservative culture, right? We don't want to take risks. We don't have to as clinicians. Um, but there's some times where I think um, even uh, Larry Benz, uh, what PT's most recent Ascend event, you know, he said, hey, physical therapist, make some bets. It's time to make some bets and bet big. What, and what is, analyze that quote. What is, what do you think he means by that? What, what would you mean by that? Well, I can't really tell you what he means per se. Um, I think that his whole speech was actually, it was a keynote. It was recorded at some point. You can ask my PT about it. Wait, what I take away from it though, is that yeah. we need to bet big outside of what we've already been betting on. Right. It's, it's like, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're at the roulette table and all you've done is bet odds, Hey, here's a guess. 
bad evens, <laughs> right? Like change it up and, and do some of those things that maybe have seemed crazy to you in the eighties or the nineties or the early two thousands, right? Maybe open up a gym or, or, or do a strategic partnership with something else or, or, you know, open up a coffee shop with inside your own practice, like whatever the case might be. I mean, that's a, that's a life goal for me right there is I want to open up a coffee shop because I'm a huge coffee nerd. Hey, I'm down. You know? I'm down. Like coffee and barbecue. Like that's what, what oh, I have this yeah. huge dream goal and you're down in Austin, right? Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm just waiting. All right. So I mean like you're in like one of the barbecue capitals of the world. And like, yeah. I don't mean to offend any of my Southern friends that are from like the Carolinas. Like I respect you guys too. Like whole hog barbecue. I love that stuff too. Um, I have an offset smoker at home. I love it all. Like oh I just, there's no barbecue. I don't like unless it's oversauced. Let's put it out there right now. But too much, too much sauce. Like, yeah, it's like, like, let the meat stand on its own a little bit. That's just my thing. But um, gosh, like huge dream of mine, like is because, uh, you know, like through retirement, like in my retirement, I want to have an espresso bar that's attached oh. to a barbecue restaurant because you're going to have to be there early in the morning. So you're going to have your own espresso anyway. Anybody that likes espresso can hang out there. Those that get hooked by the smell of the place, right? When barbecue finally opens at like 10 or 1030, they can hang out there and grab some early lunch or late, you know, some brunch. Some barbecue brunch, right? Yes, yes. And then, and then maybe bring some to their office, and and that will forgive them for being half a day late. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's time to take some bigger bets on that stuff. It's time to do some shared risk and revenue, you know, sharing type models, either internally or externally. All right, it's time to talk to prayers and say, hey, look, what do you need? What do you want? Right, it's it's a huge industry, conservatively thirty billion dollar industry for outpatient physical therapy alone. I have heard. Um, experts across various tables say that's probably more like 50, 60, probably even 70 for this year. Right. And like for every practice that says, man, my reimbursement sucks. You have another practice going, no reimbursement's doing great. The variance is huge. So, you know, and that's the other thing is if you're struggling, I'm going to hook up with your quote competitor down the street. Who's doing well. What are you doing? Well, there's obviously more than enough PT to go around right at the maximal marketplaces. I think it's like 25% quote saturation, like 25% of people in the best, most physical therapy aware markets get physical therapy at any point in their, their, their course of care where they finally actually need us finally quote actually need us. Right. Cause that's how it usually goes. We're like the last month when we should be one of the first. Yeah. But on average, on the national average, it's more like 10%, right? One out of every 10 people that need physical therapy will ultimately see a physical therapist. That's so, so, low. That's so flipping low. It's like, you know, like, I mean, translate to anything else, right? Like one out of every 10 people who needs a hair will eventually get a haircut in their lives. <laughs> right. One out of every 10 people that need gas in the car will eventually find a gas station. Oh, it's an epidemic. Right. right? It's a, it's a huge problem. I mean, it's, it's insane where these opportunities are. I'll name a couple other ones, right? If you're an outpatient, why don't you outpatient at home? Do a little bit of dispatch work. Right, if you're an outpatient uh, or even a say like your dispatch agency, why not contact with some urgent cares? Because there's a huge need for physical therapists in the emergency department. I, I did a pilot program; it was super successful. And every single research indicator that we have out there, um, with the especially with like the the uh, like teaching hospitals, they love it when there's physios in the emergency room because or the emergency department. Forget really. Uh, uh, oh, they love it because we offload the 25 to 40 percent of musculoskeletal uh, injuries that come through the front door of the emergency department. And we offload a whole bunch of neuro, primarily vestibular 
because you have a syncope, possible fall, right? Uh, you have this, uh, this uh, you know, uh, peripheral vertigo versus central. They have to be differentiating out, which is one of the most common uh, strokes that I was able to help uh, tease out back in my early acute days. They love it, right? And here's another shout out to Carlene Jaka, who runs a uh, immersive PT department group on Facebook. And, and she has a company, I think, both provides and consults on this. Oh, right? and, you can, and so, I mean, there's so much opportunity here. So much. And uh, it just, I feel like we've been conditioned, unfortunately. And I think it was, it was the whole like feast and famine thing, right? There were good times. There were some really good times, financially speaking, in the 80s and 90s, right? We were reimbursed really, really, really well. So we saw anything that wasn't driven with, you know, billing and coding to be, quote, below us because financially it wasn't there. But now we're in a different point in time, right? We're not in a fee-for-service, uh, at least we're not a sustainable fee-for-service environment anymore. We need to be in a value-based environment, in a community-driven environment, in a consumer-based environment or oriented environment. And we need to go to, to places where people need us, not where we want to be needed. Hell yeah. Let me say that one more time. We Please. need to go to where people need us, not where we want to be needed. I think it's humbling. I think it could be infuriating. And if you're infuriated, good, take some action. But it's like... You know, like it, it, it's the whole at a baseball game. I don't want to get up. So the hot dog vendor comes to me, sells a, you know, sells a hot link. Sweet. Now I have to go run five miles. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what we need to do. Right? There's, there's a classical definition of marketing, which I've never forgotten. Blew my mind. What is marketing? Like in one sentence, the shortest possible way of determining what is marketing? Marketing is creating demand. Uh, boom. That's it. That's all it is. Marketing is creating demand. How do you create consumer demand for your brand, for your product lines, for your service lines? So how do we do that as physical therapists? Well, first off, we got to get out there, right? And what does that get out there means? It means we need to stop thinking that just by being good, that people will know who we are. We cannot be found if we're not discoverable. And everybody shops the same way these days. You go to that almighty search bar. Yeah. Oh, I'm fired up, man. Let me know when you want to open up the barbecue joint down here. The barbecue slash BT joint. Oh, man. I'm, I'm basically ready. Like, I, <laughs> I've only... Okay, so I've only, on barbecue, I've only gotten on this like fairly recently. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and actually, uh, shout out to another uh, PT out there, uh, Michael Siegendaler, who's a smoke master out of Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, he's, he's got me. Oh yeah. No, he, he knows what he's doing. He has, and, uh, we, we, we nerd out about barbecue all the time. And, um, oh my gosh. Like, so out here in San Diego, we have Phil's barbecue and all due respect, right? Like, like I love what they've done for the San Diego community, uh, you know, culinarily and all that kind of stuff. And they provide a lot of great food. Um, but I just never, I never felt that passion. Like, you know, like it's like the first time like for anybody that has tried like Korean barbecue for the first time, it's really more like Korean grilling, but you know, Korean barbecue, the first time you try it, you're like, where has this been all my life? Yeah. Right. Like, like where has this been all my life? <laughs> it's, um, and, and same with like, I feel like that's the type of experience you should feel like, like finally having a really good shot of espresso, right? Yeah. A really good one. That's not like overburned, over acidified. That's pulled properly with the right type of flow rate and pressure it tastes so different than getting it out of like an auto machine. It's so different. Um, 
and, and same with barbecue. I feel like when, when people finally get really good barbecue, they're like, where has this been all my life? Like, it's not dry. It's not oversauced. It's not too spicy or too tangy. Like, it's just like really great tasting food, you know? And uh, the first time I had like quote legit barbecue, and this can tell you like the state of barbecue in Southern California for the most part, I had it at a Tennessee airport. What? For breakfast at like 8.30 local time, I had like, I, I didn't get a chance. Uh, it was actually at the APTA Next Conference um, down at the uh, the Gaylord uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And like on my flight out, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't get barbecue yet. Like I tried all, a bunch of different things, uh, but I didn't get barbecue. So I tried it at an airport and I was like, oh my gosh. Right. And the funny, that's so cool. Like the guy who was at the cash register, he was like, Hey, what can I get for you? It's all early. Right. They still have barbecue going. And I'm like, Hey, look, I'm from California. I don't know barbecue. Like, <laughs> like for us, barbecue and grilling is the same thing. And he looked at me like I committed a sin. Right. Oh, He's like, right. And like, now I know, I now know, right. Like you can't grill something like you don't barbecue burgers, right? Like it's right. grilling. And he looked at me and he goes, you're getting the sampler. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's just like, you like, didn't give me a choice. Like, you're getting the sampler. Like, getting the sampler. Right. Like, thank you up doc. I'm getting the sampler. <laughs> so like, you know, swipe the card and he gets me this huge plate of food. Like, just like, you know, you can just imagine it. Like, you know, several keyboards in width in length, big yes. and like, it was at an airport. I was, it was at an airport, right? And I was like, it can't, I was like, I'm going to get sick. I'm, something bad's going to happen, right? Like, it's just like, I can't, like, um, I guess I'm doing this. But I wasn't going to leave the state of Tennessee without trying barbecue. So, I, uh, and it was my first trip to any southern state. So, I was like, I'm going to oh, wow, do it. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I need to travel. Like, I've done a lot of international travel, which is probably a story for another podcast. Um, but, and I haven't had the, the, the privilege of traveling, you know, within the States as much as I, I'd like, you know, I would love to, and I have been now, you know, just thankfully, uh, a for, for all you that support up doc and B for all of our, our you know, practices that partner with us. Like you've afforded me this, uh, privilege of being able to travel and speak and a consultant and do all these things. And so finally, yeah. right before I've been afforded this privilege of, of Southern barbecue and oh my gosh, like I had ribs, I had pulled pork, I had chicken, I had brisket, I had yeah. biscuits, I had everything. And like, like I wasn't going to be able to finish it. You know, it was probably like three pounds of food. Like I was like, I felt so ashamed. I was like, I want to take this, but then like, I feel like I'm going to like make the whole uh, plane hate me if I brought this or on the plane, <laughs> you know, and like, or I could share it. I pass it down. I <laughs> yeah. pass it around. And, um, like it was amazing. Like I just, I've never tasted like, that. That was that moment. Where have you been all my life? Yeah. Right. And so then I finally found this place in San Diego called Iron Pig Ale House, Texas style barbecue. Uh, and for the first time I ever tried Texas style beef brisket. And I've never tasted beef like that ever before. Like it was just incredible. Like, cause usually I'll try brisket and it's, it's pretty dry or it's really oversauced. Um, but man, that was just perfect. Like I was like, oh, like, wow, like, wow, like where has this been all my life? And so I got really into barbecue. And uh, got an offset smoker, modded it, um, gotten pretty good at, at pork ribs. I did a really good ra- a series and racks of beef ribs. Um, yeah. Did one good, good, did one good brisket, one not so good brisket. Done a couple of pork shoulders, um, but it's just it, it's a the labor of love and passion, and, and waking up really early in the morning for it because <laughs> yeah. you cook it for like fifteen hours. Yeah, you had a Pathfinders meetup where you cook some some brisket or something, right? A big. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, we did a we did a Pathfinders. Uh, we smoked the uh, some tri tip, uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty good. Um, we should have flamed it at the end though, just to sear it. 
but mm-hmm. it was pretty good. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's lunchtime here now. <laughs> well, I'll let you go in a few, I think maybe two more questions for you. Hey, hey lay it on me. Oh, no, I, I got the time. Let's do this. First, are you, uh, is, is another Pathfinders cohort dropping? You want to give that a shout um, out? So we were going to drop another Pathfinders cohort. So if you don't know, Pathfinders is a mentorship community. Uh, much like many of those out there, uh, they're the stuff for cash PT, the stuff for, for traditional PT. Uh, you know, Greg Todd has a really successful group called SSPT. Shout out. I know you're a member of that too. You're a cross member. Yeah. Um, cross pollinating everywhere. That's right. I mean, Hey, the more, the more people you learn from the stronger you get. That's, that's, that's how I see it. You know, it's like, uh, like most people know that I'm a a martial arts fan enthusiast. Sorry. Like, like I, I love jujitsu. I love Muay Thai. I love both. You're only strong because you've learned both, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and you get different perspectives on it from different coaches and different instructors. Um, but it is a mentorship community uh, and it's a, it's a modular coursework up doc. Um, we're, we're transitioning it actually to an asynchronous model. I'm still kind of working on the modeling of it. Just didn't feel right about dropping a cohort for summer uh, and spring really just because we're so busy at up doc right now. Uh, but we might actually launch a, uh, like a synchronous one for fall. It just kind of depends. I, I'm kind of just, I'm wavering. This is, I need to make a decision on if we're going to make it an asynchronous course uh, with kind of an induction process or to keep it at cohorts. But uh, it's something to think about. You know, there's a couple of people that are, are joining the asynchronous um, version of it. And it's just, I'm personally being selective about it because I, I jump on one-on-one calls. So it's kind of like having a podcast of your own, but it's yeah. interactive, you know, and, and, you know, I've been on a couple of calls for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we just, uh, we talk about shop, about career path, about business, life, you name it. Um, but it gets people oriented. That, that's the idea. The idea of Pathfinders was if you don't feel like you have a very clear compass on where you want your, 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 your professional and personal life to be, because it's all the same nowadays, um, then Pathfinders is probably for you because we basically lay out the map, give you a compass uh, and a community and tell you, go ask questions and we will, we won't tell you what to do, but we will help you along the way and, and make sure that your, your compass is, is pointed to a true North. Yeah. Get in there y'all. Man, I know I've been so grateful for all our, our conversations that we've had in the past. I, I'm to a point now where I need to start acting on them and start doing more action now that I'm been practicing for about six months. And You're on the cusp. Getting You're real, on man. The cusp. Yeah. Right. It's weird. It's weird out here on the other side. <laughs> man. And and so yeah, I'm at a, I'm at an outpatient uh, practice right now, trying to uh, trying to see what the next move is. Cause I don't, you know, I don't think that being a director of an outpatient orthopedic place, at least for insurance base is where, you know, where I want to be. And it seems like a lot of, you know, a lot of your, your bigger companies, that's kind of, they're kind of limited in their upward mobility. That's kind of, that might be as high as you can go. So that the thought of, you know, breaking out into concierge practice or even, uh, you know, maybe joining forces with somebody else, opening up a, a brick and mortar place is appealing. But what, what what's of course is the most appealing is utilizing the online space, right? Where it's very low overhead and you expand yourself to be, whether you're doing telehealth or whether you're just being somebody in that weird space of online rehab exercise programming, building that brand is very intriguing. Um, do you, do you foresee either, either one of those options as, as the world turns and, 
and tech grows, what's, what's the most lucrative space right now for PTs to be in? Uh, I think that's a multi-layered answer really. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you know, lucrative, it, it also needs to be defined. Um, yeah. I'll tell you for now like that, you know, the insurance space is probably has a lowest barrier to entry because that's the largest pool of aware consumers um, and the lowest barriers to payment, which is nice. Um, however, you're right. The upward mobility of that, unless you're launching your own practice can be quite limited. Uh, organizations have the rules and regulations and policies and procedures. You have to work a certain amount of time within the company before you move up, up and then you have to have additional qualification before you go in from floor level management to mid-level management and so on and so forth. So there's that like, you know, personally lucrative, company lucrative, there's definitions there too. The online space is basically untapped and is being dominated in its early stages by personal trainers because they're willing to make those bets, right? They're willing to put out their content on social platforms, on websites, on subscription groups, in learning management systems. Like they're willing to make those bets. They're willing to spend money on it and that practices are not. And so you know, it's, it's the whole gold rush thing all over again. Like if you don't go out there early and stake some claim, it's a lot harder to, to establish a claim as a, you know, as a late adopter. Um, I think that tech and, you know, online programming or or asynchronous programming is probably going to be a big deal. If companies can prove that their specific systems um, can improve health biomarkers, that's going to be the key. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think that selling a, an exercise program is going to be, well, let's just be honest. Selling a singular exercise program, not that hard to do. Right. Selling an exercise program subscription for a customer lifecycle, a little more difficult. Um, and I think that's where the value proposition is really going to be is, you know, like say you join a practice as a member, right? They're going to be your primary care physio and, they also want you to pay kind of like an internal premium, but part of that internal premium makes your, you know, your downstream costs lower as a person, you know, or adds more value to your life or is contracted in a way with a payer where that can be covered, whether it's by like an HSA or, or FSA or some other, some other spending account that might evolve in the future of, of the healthcare economic landscape. That is where I feel like the money is going to be. Right? And, and I think that, I mean, this opens up a whole nother discussion um, that we'll probably have to save that for next time as well. So we'll have to save like, you know, international versus, you know, domestic travel as well as this whole talk for, for our next episode and conversation, right. Right. Uh, which is the, the state of, of healthcare evolution as an economy. Cause I, I really think we're there. If you asked me maybe 10 years ago, um, I would have been very defensive about it. Uh, if you asked me 20 years ago, I wouldn't know anything about it. Right. And if you asked me five years ago, I would have been a little different too. And, and if you asked me today, it's, it's very different. Um, cause it, it's, uh, it, it did make sense some time ago, some generations ago, um, to keep healthcare fee for service, uh, and to help keep healthcare, um, kind of the way it is or was, but people are living longer and the economy has evolved and society has evolved. And, um, one of the most influential classes I had during business school was corporate social responsibility and how uh, companies and, and, and economies that adopt what is considered to be social responsible, not necessarily socially just, because those are two you know, slightly different things, but, but socially responsible to the point where um, the, the consumers will vote for their, with their dollars. Yes. Um, that, that is where companies win. And, you know, there's this whole thought of, you know, can healthcare or is healthcare or should healthcare become universal or become a right or of some sort? 
Uh, I don't know what the proper steps are. Um, but I can tell you that like just recently being that I've been exposed to so many different stories, uh, it, it's, it's hard to vote one way or the other anymore. Right. Cause you hear these kids like, like my wife right now is volunteering with the Star Wars group uh, for a, a picky reunion. You know, and a lot of these kids are, are uh, cancer survivors. And you kind of ask yourself like, like how right is it to ask a kid or a family to pay X amount of you know, thousands or tens of thousands or hundred thousands of dollars uh, for cancer treatment. Right. And it's right. kind of like, it's, it's getting like, when is that? But then at the same time, like, how come it become, it feels, I won't say right or wrong. How come it feels awful family to pay that much when it feels less awful to ask uh, somebody say in acute back pain to pay me X amount or Y amount for 10 visits in a course of care. Yeah. Like there's obviously something there, right? We're, we're in a state of transitional evolution within, with healthcare as, uh, as a social identity construct, whatever you want to call it. I don't know the answers. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a cognitive scientist. I'm not a politician. <laughs> I'm not a sociologist. You know, I took one not sociology yet. class. Like, not here. No, my wife, my wife will uh, strangle me. I've taught her how. <laughs> Not how to get any more degrees. Um, but, but, but I will say, you know, I, I will say that, um, you know, to, to, to maybe put a, a cap on the whole, or a cherry on top of my very convoluted answer of where the most lucrative elements or, or avenues might be for physical therapy. I think that we will find ourselves in the most lucrative avenue uh, for physical therapy if we follow the way humans engage with each other yeah. as augmented by technology. Yeah. That's always been the case. That's always been the case, right? Human behavior. That's where it is. Always has been, always will be right? Because business is behaviors. And I think it's a difficult ask because we, we start to think as clinicians, but, but I'm such like a, I'm a manual therapist, right? Or I'm a movement uh, therapist or whatever, like we have our identity and what we do in the physical clinic, but we fail to, to expand our brains into thinking about how we can use these, this knowledge set and skill set and translate that and augment that with technology. Right. Right. And, but like every under, every other industry happens to have done so, right. Like the, the delivery industry, yep. right? supply chain industry, restaurant tourism, right. Yep. But ding, yep. your table's ready. Right. So where are we with that? And, the, the, and I, I don't know the specific answers for each specific type of practice, but I know that that's where we need to be. I know that from a human behavior business element, if that's not a, a staple of, of this year, next year's business initiative, uh, then we're behind. Um, and, you know, companies and, and businesses and economies, uh, you know, there's a crazy stat. I forget what the number is, but something very, very high and certainly over 50%. But something like the top 100 companies over the last 100 years, that's only like 5% of them are still around. Goddamn. Right? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And just think about how many companies actually fold. Like, some of these companies you thought would never fold, right? Like, like, like Radio Shack or Blockbuster or Circuit City. Yes, yes. Right? Years. And they have all Toys folded. And yes, yes, they're, yeah, Toys R Us, right? Like, oh my gosh, heartbroken, right? And, <laughs> but like, you thought that these would never go away, but why did they? Because of human behavior. Like, right? couldn't you adapt. Work. Right. Yeah, exactly. They couldn't, they couldn't adapt and evolve and grow with how humans are growing. And I think that's where we need to be, you know, in the practice of physical therapy is how do we grow with how people are engaging? And I'll tell you this, they're engaging on their screens, engaging on their mobile devices. They're engaging through entertainment. Voice, voice too. Voice. Yeah, for sure. Like I think the, 
uh, I, I forgot the stat specifically, but something like, um, like, like audio programming, right. It is actually uh, one of the fastest growing loyal listener groups uh, and tends to be, uh, I think is overwhelmingly um, above median, you know, like median earnings uh, for United States, uh, you know, as like a labor statistic uh, and tends to be college educated or above. And um, it's also one of the, the rare dimensions and senses that we as humans can process information in parallel with something else. Yeah. Like I can't like, I can't until they create the quote iPhone from Futurama. If you know <laughs> what I'm talking about <laughs> for those of you that don't know like this. So Futurama, I'm again, big nerd. I think we might yes. need to close with this. Cause I, I got to pick up my kid. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. But this is a great place to, I think, wrap it up because it, it's like a blend of comedy and, and, and entertainment and, 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 and some truth here. Here's some truth for the price of physical therapy. Um, Futurama is a show that's uh, made by the creators of the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a show before it's time. And there's a, uh, uh, an entity there called mom's corporation. And they basically are the quote evil corporate, you know, like Western corporation in any story arc in any episode. And one of the times it was mom's, you know, like corporation for their iPhone. And it was the, E-Y-E, like the physical eyeball phone. Yes. And uh, it's so funny because, you know, these people are in line to go to the to mom's iPhone store, uh, which is mocking, you know, the Apple store. And there's a huge line and they get in there and they go, you know, like it's where that famous meme where Fry shoves out the money and he goes, shut up and take my money, right? <laughs> yes. And um, he gets in there and he goes, hey, is there any left? Are there any left? And then, you know, the, uh, the cashier or, or team member um, – reaches behind the curtain or right, in there's like the whole factory creating billions of them. He goes, Oh, there might be one yeah. <laughs> and hands it to him. And he goes, Hey, why is this called the iPhone? He's like, oh, I'll tell you after I install it. And he takes this, you know, he takes this uh, little tiny, you know, it looks like a Bluetooth right? and shoves it in the guy's eyeball. And you know, that's why it's the iPhone. And you know, he's screaming. And then when he finally blinks his eyes open, there's a screen that projects in front of his eyes, like a hologram. You know, and uh, it cracks me up. But until that happens, we're, we're not going to, you know, we're still going to be bound as, as humans to auditory content as a one-dimensional content that we can parallel while we drive, while we run, uh, while we do errands around the house. You know, <laughs> it's, it's one of the, the rare things while we travel, uh, you know, on flights and stuff like that. It's one of those rare things that we consume content and process information alongside other things. But that episode also had some hilarious bits um, where he was calling out, you know, mobile uh, device users uh, and social media about, Hey, on this device, you can, you know, you can be distracted while you drive and crash your car. You can ignore yes. your friends while you're riding on a bus, you know, <laughs> kind yes. of things. Um, but really, you know, like it's the whole, does life or does light imitate art or maybe a little bit of both, maybe it's a cycle. And, yeah. you know, I would, I would advise to uh, anybody that's in a position to influence uh, their practice, great or small, corporate or privately held or hospital system oriented, how can we integrate human behaviors through technology in bettering our practice? Shit. That, up, to me, that to me, that is the future. And for many, the first step is marketing, right? The second it, step is probably patient engagement. Yes. The, all right. And the third step is probably going to be, you know, a lifestyle retention of some sort. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's probably there. Membership based um, services, right? 
Yeah, that kind of stuff, you know, or, or creating our own, uh, creating our own insurance. Uh, there's so many different yes. ways to do that. And, you know, there's so many, when I say to do that, not to create the insurance, but there's so many ways to engage with human behavior through technology, because that's like basically all we do now. Right? Like, really? What do we do right with this? now? Yeah, we're doing it right now through technology, right? This is not a landline. This is, this is essentially VoIP, right? This is voice over IP. Yes. Um, I get to hear your, your talented voice in all of its glory. And, and, and yeah, the Sean Connery and everything, right? Oh, it's only God. one book. Uh, yes. Gosh, there's so many fun, there's so many fun things. I, 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 I love, uh, I'm such a punk. Like there's so many voice things I love to do. And like, it's just, many of them are quite inappropriate, um, but it's just so fun. Cause I think it's an auditory piece again, right? Like you can't tell by looking at somebody what they're going to sound like. And I think that's where vocal intonation and humor is so valuable. Yes. Is uh, you can come in and, and there's so many ways for you to be able to engage. And, and I think that's why kids play that way. Right. Yeah. Kids will like, they'll, they'll embody different voices for different ways that they're playing, you know, with imaginary play. And, and that's something that I we need to, to think to ourselves as well of like how we can even embody that into our practice. Not necessarily per se, but there's probably some, some, uh, some mindful motivational elements that you can use um, through the auditory dimension. Oh, for sure. With characters, storytelling, improv. Yeah. yeah. And also shout out to Fry. I remember that another bit from that, uh, from that show was uh, he fell asleep. And there was like advertisements in his dreams oh, yeah, all yeah. about it. And then, and then they're like, we've had advertisements on billboards while we're driving, while we're watching TV on our phones, but never in our dreams. Yes. Then for this unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to, to give me a lot of homework and a lot of thinking to do about the future and for, for nerding out for like most of the episode. I greatly appreciate that. Always love hearing your, uh, your positive words and messages, man. Hey, it's a pleasure. It's a privilege. You know, like I more and more now, I just see everything that I get to do on a day-to-day basis as a massive, massive privilege. You know, it's one of those, it's one of those like cathartic moments in life. You know, when I started on this journey was I, I asked the hospital CEO, you know, how can I make a deeper impact? And uh, how do I, how do I do something that goes beyond um, what I'm doing now. Right. And he dared me to be more. And, uh, that was, that was the words be more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think that, uh, it's just, you know, people have to trust you for you to be more. Uh, and I'm just always humbled. I remember you told me that, man. I remember that story. Be more, be more, go be more guys. Oh.